Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Allie, we're going to talk to Christina today about a really layered experience she had with a client that taps into some of the most frequent pain points I think many of us as therapists experience. Yeah, absolutely. And it is so multilayered. It's so relatable. We're going to be talking about an ideal client who maybe wound up not being the right fit and having to Mm -hmm. talk about referring out and how that Mm -hmm. impacts the therapeutic relationship. But then Christina also had the experience with the same client about an overdue balance. And that is such a tricky part of the work we do for some reason when we ask about payment or charge our worth, it can get real messy. And then put both of those on at the same time, referring out for adjunctive or a different level of care and having an, and trying to collect an outstanding balance. And you have just a recipe for many different therapist spirals. So Christine is going to share all of it with us today. And this is just a friendly reminder that for all of our episodes, including this one, this is not a substitute for therapy itself, clinical guidance, or ethical consultation. All right. Well, this is episode number 42 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Christina, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. We are so excited to dive into your juicy story. I, I got a little preview, so I know there's going to be a lot of a lot of good stuff to flush out. But before we do, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a newborn clinician. I just recently <laughs> graduated um, in June 2021, but I actually have been working in the fashion industry as a jewelry designer for about six years prior to becoming a therapist. We're going to have to talk more about this when we're not recording. We're putting a pin in that one. Absolutely. Well, a funny story is that I was fired from the industry because I didn't know the difference between the color white and ivory. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Apparently, ivory has a little bit of a warmer tone, but I got fired from that. 
and <laughs> it sounds like straight out of the devil wears Prada. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm done with fashion. Um, so I decided to go to graduate school, become a therapist, and I've been practicing for about two years now. Amazing. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. I mean, I feel like that origin story is phenomenal. Yeah. We could just talk about that the whole podcast, but <laughs> we are here to hear your story. Tell us what made you question if you were a bad therapist. Okay. So I, you know, as a new clinician, I started to build my caseload and still learning a lot of the ropes of therapy. And I, I think in that process, it's still I'm still trying to figure out who I am as a therapist. But for now, I was telling myself I think I'm comfortable with CBT and maybe some psychodynamic approaches, and I'm comfortable with anxiety and depression because I know firsthand what that's like. So I've been sort of marketing myself in that way that you know I work with folks who struggle with anxiety, depression, and also I'm a transgender woman, so. Also, part of the reason why I became a therapist is because I want to be accessible for trans folks, non-binary folks. Um, so in that process of building my caseload, I met a client who came to me and was seeking some guidance around gender. Um, I will be using they, them pronouns because that was that is their pronouns. Um, so initially they had told me that they wanted to figure out the best ways of uh, expressing their gender and feeling really grounded and comfortable in their gender. Um, and, you know, during my consult with them, they said to me, you know, I have some trauma and it's like, okay, you know, tell me a little bit about your trauma. I don't want to get into it too much, but uh, just emotionally abusive mother, you know, so... <clears throat> Over the course of time of working with um, this client, trauma just kept showing up over and over and over. And, you know, as a baby clinician, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't really know how to approach trauma that well, right? I, I in graduate school, they only go over um, theories, but they just touch the surface of it. They don't really mm -hmm. teach you in depth. And so I found myself constantly researching, constantly reading, how do I do a trauma-informed approach with CBT with this for this client? And what I found over the course of time was that, you know, they can they can only do so much thinking, right? And sort of reframing around their trauma. But I found myself getting really stuck with this client. So I think that we made a lot of progress when it came to gender. Um, they were able to express themselves in a way that they wanted to and they felt comfortable. But again, verbatim, they were telling me trauma continues to hold me back. Trauma continues to really affect my way of behaving, my way of thinking. And so I just, you know... I was really scared, really intimidated by this client. And so one day I had decided, you know what? I think this client might deserve a higher level of care that, that I, quite frankly, am not able to provide at this time in my career. And so 
this was all telehealth and we opened the session and I said, listen, you know, just before we get started, I've been doing a lot of thinking about our work together while we've made some progress in this area. I, I feel like when it comes to trauma, what's, what's happening is that, you know, there's like this feeling of being stuck, right? And the moment I said stuck, their face just, it was just like, they didn't know who they were talking to anymore. And they just froze up and just sort of like stared at me like a deer in headlights. And I was just like, in my mind, like, oh, oh, can I curse? I curse a lot. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Okay. I was just like, fuck, like, did I like say something wrong? What I and, do, yeah. <laughs> right, and I was just like, um, I said to I said to them, you know, I I come, I, I tell you this with the, like the best intentions and for your care. I think that I have limitations when it comes to treating trauma. And I think that you deserve a higher level of care than I can give at this time. And I said to them, I don't want you to feel abandoned, but I also want you to think, uh, I'm sorry, I don't want you to feel abandoned. And what that could look like for us is that you see maybe a trauma specialist biweekly and you see me biweekly, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I put it that way because I was like, you know what? we can work on gender, continue talking about gender. And then you can see someone else who's more trauma informed than I am at this time. And they just shut down. They just were Mm. not responsive. And I, I started to freak out. (laughs) And this was early on in the session. You said you started with this. Is that correct? Yes. I started with it. So So how did you manage that? Like freaking out and you're still in the (laughs) session. You have like 40 something minutes to go, it sounds like. (laughs) Right. And I just, I was really in my head. Like I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, you did something wrong. This client is feeling abandoned. And to be really honest, I think that because I was freaking out so much, I started to like really push my client to tell me what was wrong because I knew something was wrong. Something Mm -hmm. shifted and they just kept telling me everything's fine. No, everything's fine. And I just sort of like my insecurities were like taking over and I'm just like, look, I, I'm a therapist. I can tell when there's a shift, there's a change in the room. I noticed your body language has changed. The amount of talking has changed And, you know, I kind of just want to have an open, honest conversation here so that we can sort of just figure out what, like, what the next steps are. Maybe we could talk through it. And, you know, it's hard to recall thinking back then because this was a long time ago, but they did not share anything with me until the very end, which Mm -hmm. we were like at the the three-minute mark of our session. And they had said to me, well, you know, I appreciate that you were telling me that you think that I need a higher level of care. Um, And I know that you are, you have the best intentions for me. So I appreciate it. And that's how they kind of left it. Mm -hmm. 
And then they shared with me, I'm going to be gone in Paris for two weeks. <laughs> so I'm going to be missing our next two sessions. And I was just like, okay, well, you know, maybe when you get back, we could talk about how we can move forward with this process of identifying a trauma-informed therapist for you. Um, they went away. And I think this is when I really thought I was a bad... I feel like this is like two parts here. <laughs> One, I thought I was a bad therapist because I started the session with saying, hey, I think mm-hmm. you need a higher level of care. Mm-hmm. And then the second half is when I realized that this client, uh, their card was declining for the past three sessions. Oh, no. And yes. <laughs> so... Unfortunately, while I have a billing department, I am in charge of the one who um, hits the charge button. Uh And for whatever reason, I kind of forgot that this client had their card declining. So and I and I failed to bring it up to them in session in real time. But Mm -hmm. by that point, they went to Paris. I realized that there was three sessions that they haven't paid for. This would have been about the fourth session. And I said, you know what? I'll I will just address it with them when they get back. Um, two, actually, no, I, I'm backing up here. I'm sorry. I did email them while they were on their vacation, <laughs> and I said, hey, just FYI, you do have three sessions that have not been charged because your card is coming up to client. Um, please let me know when you can give me updated card information. And I sent them a link to update their card. Um, That was ignored. Mm -hmm. And instead they were responding to me in a separate email, probably two weeks later saying, Hey, I can't make it to our session next week because I, I decided to stay another week in Paris. Which that was upsetting me because I was just like, well, you have the means <laughs> to mm-hmm. pay and extend mm-hmm. your stay in Paris. So I'm not quite understanding mm-hmm. um, why you have not updated the card. Um, and so then I said, okay, no problem. I'll see you next week. And then I followed up on that same email chain, said, hey, you know, just want to circle back here. I know you're uh, on your vacation, but, you know, my billing department is putting the pressure on me. (laughs) Um, That was ignored. And Mm -hmm. as a new clinician who's working fee for service, it is very important that I get paid because my bills do not care about what (laughs) I got going on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And while I do want to be as client-centered as possible. I also want to take care of myself. And part of that is getting paid. Um, So when the following week came, they emailed me again separately and said, hey, um, I won't be able to make it to session this week because I just got back to New York and I'm flooded with work. And in Can that I ask, same, were they canceling like within like over 24 hours notice? Were these late cancels? I'm just curious about that piece. Were they giving you enough notice to cancel? They were giving me enough notice for sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. Which is always tricky because like <laughs> technically they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. But when it continues, then it's like, ooh, okay. And also not updating. They still have not updated their billing. 
information. Still have not updated. Right. No. Or acknowledged it. Or acknowledged my email, right. Right. <laughs> um, so at this point in your head, are you like, something's fishy? What's going on in your head at this point with this client? Oh, so I think this is what really contributed to my feeling of being a bad therapist because I was so angry. I was uh, so uh-huh. angry. Uh-huh. I was just like, I felt so betrayed. I felt like I felt like we had such a strong therapeutic alliance up until mm-hmm. that point. And I just felt like I was like, I know, I know they want to cancel. I know they don't want to continue therapy. And I, I, I feel like at that point I was spiraling mm-hmm. <laughs> because not only was I angry, I was also in this financial scarcity mindset. I was thinking about my bills. I was thinking about how I felt betrayed by this client. And then I was also wrestling with, well, I'm a therapist. I'm not supposed to feel so charged up by this, right? And if I am, what does that say about me, Right. Um, because as a therapist, you're not, you're expected not to be so, take things personal, right? Mm -hmm. But I also acknowledge that I'm a human being who still has my stuff to work through, right? But, Mm -hmm. ooh, I, this was, at this point, it was really, really hard for me. And I decided to email them in that email where they were canceling. And... I said, I kept it very short, very brief. And I said, hey, thank you for letting me know. Just FYI, as per my separate email, you have this balance, right? Um, no response. <laughs> and again, I just continue to sort of spiral with anger, Um now, I have a question. Were these connected in your brain? Like, did you connect the non-payment to the last session or did they feel separate to you? Like, how did it feel knowing that the last session was that felt like there was the shift, but then there was also this component of the billing and the payment? Did they feel related or not? You know, at the time, I don't I don't know if they did. But in this moment, you even asked me that. Because they might not be. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, like with how you're telling it in my mind, I'm like, oh, it seems like the three payments had been, you know, not like it had been declined or whatever it was three times anyway. So it could have come up anyways. But it just mm-hmm. so happened that the last session was I mean. a challenging session. Yeah. I mean, I'll be and really also- honest. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> No, go ahead, Christina. Be honest. I, I'll, I'll be really honest, though. Like over the course of time, when I was when I did realize my limitations when it came to trauma, I was witnessing slow shifts over the course of our mm. treatment. Like I okay. was witnessing their their feeling of hopelessness, feeling like there's mm-hmm. no way of them getting better or ever resolving their trauma. And you know, we I did my best to work through this feeling of hopelessness. But I will say that over the course of time, which is why in my mind now that you asked that question, I'm like, it could have been related. Maybe they felt like, well, I'm not getting much out of this when it comes to trauma. So maybe I'll just not pay for it. This feels like a really great place to pause for an ad break. So, Catherine, do you ever wish that you could just sometimes have a friend to talk to about a book? (laughs) 
Actually, Allie, no. No, I can't relate to that. I've never, never really wanted to talk to anyone about something I've read. However, I am really excited to meet all of our listeners because you all are invited to our first ever free public book club through the Teletherapist Network. I know. I am a bookworm, so maybe that is more niche to me and my interests, but this still is such an amazing opportunity for us to all connect as a community between the Teletherapist Network, our listeners here on Am I a Bad Therapist, and the book is amazing. We are reading Glow in the Effing Dark, Tara Schuster's highly anticipated second book after her first, Buy Yourself the Effing Lilies. If you haven't read Lilies yet, you need to pick it up. And we're going to read Glow together when it comes out at the end of February. So now is the time to register for free for our free public book club. We are going to be having a private community just for therapists to read and discuss Glow in the Effing Dark together. And as a special treat, Tara Schuster herself is going to join us at the end of March for a private book club discussion with just us. Which is amazing. Like, this does not happen. I hope people can realize, like, she is such an incredible author. She's huge. Her books are amazing. And the fact that she's going to join the conversation, even if you've never joined a book club, never really wanted to, this is the one to pick up. This is the one to do. And Allie and I personally cannot wait to meet you inside. So register either in the links below or at teletherapistnetwork.com and we will follow up with more information closer to the community's launch at the beginning of March. And now let's circle back to the show. Your situation hits on two of the biggest pain points many therapists experience in their careers. And that is this rejection or feeling of... Uh, not being good enough for a client or not uh, that imposter syndrome, right? That comes up when we don't have the specialty or the education that this client needs. And that's no fault of our own. We can't have all of the specialties, right? That's why we have referrals systems in place. Um, So it hits on that imposter syndrome, um, not feeling good enough, feeling rejected by a client. Mm -hmm. And then it also hits on the financial scarcity of not getting paid by the client. Many of us struggle just to charge what what we're worth. And then when we charge it and it's not paid and balances do build up, that's even more uh, distressing, right? So I feel like this one situation went from zero to 60 uh, like in the first sounds like half of that session and then when you realize that the balance was outstanding I can only imagine the distress you were feeling no wonder you were spiraling most therapists have these these pain points too yeah I mean I think that all of those things were compounding for me <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was making things so much worse so exacerbating for me I was like literally crying to my partner. I was just like, I feel this way, but then I feel like a shitty therapist because I'm angry and I'm taking it so personal. And what about my bills? And of course, my partner's supportive. It's like, oh, then don't worry about that. But like, I was, I like to be as independent as possible. And so, uh, yeah, they were all compounding one another. Um, and did you have supervision at this time? Like, were you able to talk to a supervisor about that anger, like the concerns with billing, or did you not have that support? I did. And I have a lovely supervisor. Um, really, really appreciate him. Um, but I will say it was helpful. It, and it, I think it was a reality check in a way that 
he just shared with me this happens sometimes, <laughs> right? Like, and it kind of comes with like the territory. Like you can't always be on top of a client's, I don't know, billing and, you know, managing the therapeutic relationship and all these things. So of course I I missed it, I guess, because I was so focused on my therapeutic relationship rather than the mm-hmm. the bills. But he even shared with me how many times he's experienced this, where clients have just either ghosted him and left him like with a balance. And, you know, I think it was helpful because it let me know like, okay, it's not just a me thing, right? This is like a thing that just happens. But I will say that even though that was really helpful, um, I just kind of like walked away from it like, do we really have to accept this? Like, mm. is there like a better way? Because I just, I just can't imagine having to be at the mercy of just hoping that my clients follow through on the payment for the service that I provided. You know, mm. such a good point. That is yes. such a good point to make. <laughs> Do we really have to accept this? Oh man, I ask myself that and many different factors every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Absolutely great point. Great point. And it, it, it's such a, like, uh, I don't know, like a tug of war because it's like mm-hmm. on one hand, people will accuse you of not being client-centered if you're kind of like, give me my money, you know? And on the other hand, you know, I have my own real-life problems. So my, well, my, you know, I'm living. I, I need yeah. to pay bills mm-hmm. just like everyone else. <laughs> well, and like any other profession, like we have to pay like when we go to the dentist to the hairdresser to the doctor you know I mean some people I feel like will question especially when it's like healthcare related but we still don't think like well you know I'm just not going to pay it or whatever happens but it feels like that comes up for us so much I think because the work we do is so supportive it is nurturing it's caring it feels at odds to then say well but you have to pay me for that but that it's our job that is what Mm -hmm. we do and it's no different than those other professions Mm -hmm. right Oh, my goodness. Christina, looking back, knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently? Hmm. I mean, I might have spread myself thin by trying to manage who paid and who didn't pay. (laughs) But... That's another, that could be another episode. Yep. (laughs) That would have led Um, to a different series of problems and spirals, right? For sure. Um, And the answer could be no. Maybe, you know, you look back and you say this was the, you know, there was no ideal path to handling this. And I'm comfortable with the one I, well, you should be comfortable with the one you did. You didn't do anything wrong. Um, But just looking back, like anything you would, you would change or do differently. You know, that's the same thing my supervisor told me. Um, he was like, you literally follow. Like, if I, if you did anything unethical, I would totally let you know. But, like, mm-hmm. I think that you took the best approach by trying to explain that you have limitations, that you're not able to provide um, the level of care that they deserve. So, I mean, I guess I will say if there is one thing that I would have done is just 
tell my billing department, can you just contact the client so that I don't have to? Mm -hmm. And then it sort of tarnishes our relationship and it becomes more about transaction versus like relational. If you have that belly, like I have a billing department at my practice and and I I am really grateful for having that team that can handle those things so that it doesn't have to. I mean, sometimes bills do come into the therapy appointment where if there is an outstanding balance and billing hasn't been successful, I do address it. But that's usually an extreme and doesn't happen that often. So I com- absolutely, if your billing department has the capabilities, yeah, that would have been a great now it wouldn't have mm-hmm. it wouldn't have addressed the the you know referral out or the adjunctive therapy referral or even the client's shutdown but it would have taken that that layer off for sure yeah I think I do wonder if because I was sending multiple emails about payment that that might have made them feel like you know maybe she doesn't really care about me and it's just, just about money I think that's just I can go into so many, like, uh, what is it, stereotypes or, like, myths about therapists. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah. that is a, that's a huge one that we just mm-hmm. only care about money. And I don't get paid enough. So I don't think it's about mm-hmm. the money. If we only <laughs> cared enough. about money, we would be in a different yeah. field. <laughs> Absolutely, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious, was there ever any resolution? Like, did you end up having um, another session with this client? Was there any termination? Was there transition? Did you get paid? Did you get paid? <laughs> so after that last email to them, where they were telling me that they had to cancel because they were busy with work. I waited another week and then they sent me the e- another email saying, hey, you know what? Thank you so much. I sort of sat on it and I think I'm going to take a break from therapy, which I knew that was coming. And they said, um, I appreciate all of the work that you did with me and helped me work through my gender expression and identity and don't worry the balance was taken care of and i looked at their profile and it was paid how did that feel how did that response feel ah god like it 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 didn't feel good you know, mm-hmm. like they they paid their balance, but then I kind of walked away from that feeling like, oh, they don't like me <laughs> or like I'm a bad therapist to them. And like you hear so many things on TikTok and social media. My therapist said this and I'm like, now I'm that for them. <laughs> you know, like they're going to mm-hmm. go on social media and say, my therapist told me this and everybody's going to go in the comments and trash that therapist and say, what a horrible therapist that is asking you for money. I told you, you see, that's all they care about. And, <laughs> and they're going to find you and tag you in it. And then you're going to come down <laughs> with them. I know. Mm-hmm. I know those fears. I know those fears. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so tricky. Well, I feel like there are two, like we were saying earlier, like two important parts to talk about here. So we all, we ask every guest, you know, what would you say to someone experiencing this in other clinicians? So I feel like it would be good to separate it into two. Like the first part was, what would you say to a clinician who maybe thought someone was an ideal client, but then it turns out that they did need extra support or referral out? So I feel like that's one piece we can speak to. But then that second piece that is also so important is what would you say to a clinician who either feels guilt over asking for payments, is struggling to navigate that piece? If you feel like you can separate those, what advice would you give? 
So for the first piece, if you were working with a client who you thought initially was ideal, but then found out that they might not be the best fit, um, seek supervision for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I would also suggest, you know, I feel like I waited too long in trying. I feel like I, Mm. I think I was trying to see what I can do for this person for Mm -hmm. maybe longer than I should have. And I think while I don't want to make rash decisions to refer out, I also want to be mindful of, I don't know, like making it very clear for the client, like, you know what, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling like I have strength and competency to address this, but not this. And so what would you like to do, right? Kind of like offering it to them rather than me saying, I think, I kind of, I kind of agree with both approaches, but like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I wonder if I- Having more of a a conversation with them about it, right? That's kind of what you're speaking to. You can, you can certainly express your clinical judgment on what they need, but obviously allowing them to make- make their autonomous decision that makes a lot of sense so you would you would have invited that conversation earlier in the process right rather than waiting and then dropping it on them and saying hey you know what i think you should see a trauma specialist that makes sense I also love, though, that you did speak to adjunctive work because I actually do a ton of adjunctive work in my practice. Um, I work collaboratively with a lot of like EMDR therapists and we do that adjunctive work. And I feel like a lot of times it's not always appropriate, but I feel like some people we are quick to just refer out completely. But sometimes it can be such a wonderful blend to have adjunctive work either with trauma or certain different things. So I love that. And I feel like that is something that's worth mentioning and talking about is that adjunctive work can be beneficial. It's okay to do as well. And it doesn't mean that you're any less than. It just means that someone else could help support this client and then you're still doing the work you need to do. Yeah. I mean, I I recently had another client tell me they brought up eating disorder history and I was like, well, I am being honest with you here. I'm not fully competent in that arena. I do have a coworker who is a a specialist in that arena. If you want to see them, I'm happy to refer you to them as well. And we still do the biweekly sort of Mm -hmm. thing, addressing different parts. And they also get their help with the eating disorder. It's also nice for the clinicians to have a teammate while treating a client, right? Mm -hmm. To not be in it alone. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then how about the other piece we talked about? The finances, the billing, the trickiness of that. What advice would you give? Um, if you have a billing department, if you have that luxury, <laughs> yeah, please ask is. them to take the reins on that because you do not want to risk the tarnishing your therapeutic relationship. Um, I think that would be the the main advice. If you don't have that um, luxury of having a billing department handle that. <sighs> I was really looking forward to having an in-person conversation with this client. And I think that would be best rather than email because email can be really interpreted many different ways. And so I would suggest that if you don't have the billing department luxury, then you definitely might want to just have an in-person conversation with them. It sounds like most of your advice is generally bring it into the room and bring it into the room early and often. Yeah. I love that. I love that. 
And so, Christina, if our guests do want to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? Well, they can email me at Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-J, Viera, B-I-E-R-A, at gmail.com. Perfect. We'll link that, as always, in the description <laughs> if anyone wants to connect. Thank you so much for sharing the story. Again, like Catherine was saying, we were saying so relatable on so many levels. This hits on so many points that are so important to talk about that I, I mean, I'll speak for myself, like I have felt every single one of those emotions yeah. that you spoke to. <laughs> still, even as far as I am into my career, it still comes up. It doesn't go away, unfortunately, even when you're seasoned. So it can come up at any time for us. Thank you for sharing about it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And it's refreshing to even hear you say that because my supervisor, who is well seasoned, tells me that all the time. It Like mm-hmm. that feeling never goes away. Never. Nope. <laughs> well, thank you again, Christina. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast or wanting to level up the one you already have, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at air effect And don't forget, we're all bad therapists. <laughs>